the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And I'm here to tell you the spy is falling. The spy is falling. (laughs) You know, Chicken Little used to uh, go around crying something similar. Well, it's not the sky, it's the spy, the spy satellite, that is. And according to news reports, it is falling from the sky. It's going to be falling somewhere near the end of February or the beginning of March. And what impact will this have on us? Our first thought is, oh, my goodness, could it land on top of me? Well, we're going to be talking to you about that concept. Um, In fact, the uh, report from the Associated Press uh, that came out uh, just the other day, it said a large U.S. spy satellite has lost power and propulsion and could hit the Earth in late February or early March, government officials said Saturday. The satellite, which no longer can be controlled, could contain hazardous materials as it is unknown, and it is unknown where on the planet it might come down. What's funny, well, I guess it isn't so funny, but, um, you know, they talk about how they'll have a better idea of where it's going to land an hour before it lands. Well, what are you going to do, move? (laughs) You might be able to move your body, but you certainly wouldn't be able to move your house. However, Is this all much ado about nothing? Our guest today will help us try to figure this out, and he is Dr. Jeff Schweitzer. He was a scientific advisor to the Clinton White House. He's the author of the book Beyond Cosmic Dice, Moral Life in a Random World, and has a ton of other scientific and also ethical credentials. He'll tell you about that, too. But why don't we uh, start with The Spy is Falling. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. Well, you're the perfect person to be talking about this. Let's talk first about the uh, satellite and from a scientific point of view and so, so people can get an idea of exactly what this is. This is a national reconnaissance satellite, and it's put up there by the U.S. government. That The media calls it a spy satellite, and that's accurate. It's used to look down on the Earth and gather disparate information about enemies and troop movements and depending on where the satellite is and what its orbit is, um, potentially um, the launch of nuclear weapons if it's part of that satellite. We don't know because it's secret. The report mentioned that there is there are hazardous materials on board, and that's right. But one of those hazardous materials is probably hydrazine, which is the fuel, because they said that the engine has failed, so it probably has not depleted its fuel. And if hydrazine is one of the hazardous materials, that's a good thing, because as it's going through the atmosphere, it will probably blow up and just rain down little tiny pieces. So the hazardous material part is not necessarily a bad thing. Well, but even if it rains down little tiny pieces, couldn't that um, be, if it rained down these little tiny pieces in your neighborhood, wouldn't that be dangerous? No, the little tiny pieces will burn up in the atmosphere. The only thing that will make it to the ground are highly heat-resistant parts and something which is so big that as it's burning up, it makes it through, even though most of, the, most of it has burned up through the atmosphere. So, no, if it blows up, into small pieces, those will continue to burn up and actually not reach the ground. I see. Well, would it, would it reach the air we breathe? No, it really won't lead to any kind of contamination that we that we would be concerned about. We have to understand that this is um, it weighs about one ton, and that's what we suspect. Again, we don't know exactly what the specifications are in the satellite because it is secret. 
but we have some general ideas about what these satellites look like. And it weighs one ton, which is relatively small. It's about the size of a school bus, the total thing, including its panels. Uh, it's not very big in the end. And the atmosphere is, is so big relative to that small body that um, it really will not produce any serious contamination. The other thing to consider is that the Earth is 75% water. And the, the, there's a very good chance that even out of control, it will land in the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean somewhere completely out of harm's way, even if it did make it through the atmosphere. Well, you know, one of the things, though, that's, um, that's frustrating, and I'm sure you could uh, uh, tell us some of the things that you've gone through, you know, it's the government keeps a lot of secrets. And, yes, of course, um, some of them are very necessary. But on the other hand, um, you know, I've read varying reports about this satellite. And, you know, some are a little more alarmist and some are less. And um, the the part that really is bothersome is the fact that you get the impression that uh, the government isn't telling us everything they know about it, and that in fact it could be more dangerous than the, you know they don't want people all over the world to panic. The, the, that's always, that always remains a possibility. You don't know, and it's you're absolutely right about classification of data. The U.S. government particularly under the Bush administration, has done unprecedented amounts of classification. More material has been classified in the last six years than in the previous um, two or three administrations. I mean, there, there's a frenzy of classification uh, under the Bush administration. And this predates 9-11, by the way. It's not just simply a reaction mm -hmm. to 9-11. And that is a bad thing. I mean, the, a democracy really operates better with greater transparency. Having said that, there are some legitimate secrets that the U.S. government should keep so that our enemies can't get a hold of the material that's useful for, for protecting us and protecting our rights. But that balance, I think, has shifted badly toward classifying too much rather than classifying not enough. Yes, and, and um, that is one of the things that, that I guess is, general, is generally agreed to. One of the dangers of this, even if it doesn't fall on anybody's head, is it might fall into the hands, um, parts of it, um, of people who could steal our secrets. The likelihood that th that will happen is very low because the parts that make it through the atmosphere, if any do, will be so badly charred and so terribly damaged that it's not likely, not impossible, but it's not likely that should one of these pieces survive and land in China or Russia, that they would be able to gain any technology information from it. Having said that, again, that's not impossible, just very low probability. And again, the Russians and the Chinese have, unlike... In, in, early in the space race have very sophisticated advanced space technology now. So they may not, it, it may, it, it's really not much of a danger from that perspective, I don't believe. Well, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope that's right. And it is true that 75% uh, of the surface is covered by water, so the odds are in our favor. Um, you know, it's funny, though. It's kind of like the movie. Uh, did you see the movie Armageddon? I did. And this is what I thought of immediately when hearing about this. Right. Well, the... the it's true that they're both discussing things that are falling out of the sky and reaching the Earth's surface. The difference is the mass and velocity of the two. I mean, in, in the movie, we're talking about a massive meteor uh, that, that really could impact, and in fact, historically, uh, over the past four and a half billion year history of the Earth, has had a huge impact on the history and evolution of the Earth. Uh, this satellite is so small and so mm -hmm. light and, and really insignificant relative to the size of the Earth and the Earth's atmosphere that the two really aren't equivalent, other than the notion that something is falling out of the sky. I mean, mm -hmm. from that perspective, right, I mean, it will bring that image 
in many people's minds, but, but the difference in mass and velocity between the two are so significant that the impacts really are not equivalent. But it does, it does raise the very interesting point, which I think is the most interesting point from the news coming from the satellite raining about the satellite falling to Earth, and that is how we people, people in general, how we do risk assessment. What, what are the things that are a danger to us, and how do we evaluate those risks? I think that's, that's a very interesting question that this raises. Yes, and we'll uh, be talking about that after the break because... Um... Uh, yes, you know, some of the things that we sort of focus on as being dangerous rather than the things that are more dangerous that we, that we turn a blind eye to. But that whole notion of, of something falling out of the sky, um, I think is in itself sort of a, a frightening notion because we tend to feel that we're in this protected bubble. And um, the idea of something being able to fall from the sky other than a dead bird, <laughs> um, you know, or certainly an airplane crash, I mean, that too. But airplane crash, we, we are familiar with airplanes. It's things that we don't feel familiar with um, that do sort of send almost a primitive kind of fear. You're absolutely right. One of the fears that we have about something falling out of the sky is very much akin to our fear of shark attack when we're in the water. It's something we don't like being the, the object of those. We don't like being prey. We don't like being the, the one running away from something. Uh, we like being in control. And when something's falling out of the sky, we lose that sense of control. And I think that is one of the reasons why this gets such big media play, because none of us really like the concept of something falling out of the sky randomly over which we have no control. I think it's an important factor in, in, in this story. Yes, and, and of course also the, um, the unconscious or sometimes conscious reminder of, of um, well, in the United States we haven't really fortunately had this, but certainly in Europe it's the idea of, of bombs falling out of the sky that this brings back. That's right. Yeah, anything falling out of the sky generally is not very good. There are very few things you can talk about falling out of the sky that would be beneficial, so it's not a good thing. Unless it's rain in, uh, in uh, a reasonable amount. Exactly. Even too much of that's a bad thing. Exactly. We've been having that here in California the with the floods, the mudslides. Well, why don't we take a break now, because I do want to, um, when we get back, talk about... Um, the concept that you started to bring up about, um, well, this sort of relates to your book, Beyond Cosmic Dice, Moral Life in a Random World, and just how random our world is and, and the things that are in it. So um, when we come back, we'll, uh, we're talking with my guest. His name is Dr. Jeff Schweitzer, and um, his his pedigree is uh, very long, such as being a former chief environmental officer at the Agency for International Development and um, lots of other very impressive titles. <laughs> so we'll come back and we'll talk more about uh, Penny Penny and The Spy is Falling. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news. 
news, events, and trends. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith-based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show... Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the spy is falling. The spy is falling. The spy satellite that's going to be falling um, at the end of February, beginning of March, as best as scientists can tell us. And what this means for you, if anything, <laughs> it certainly means that you're probably going to get caught up in uh, the media frenzy as it gets closer to countdown. <laughs> I can't wait to see that happening unless by then they've figured out that where it's, well, not where it's going to land, but I don't know, something that will be more soothing than what's been coming out so far. Right. Um, my guest is Dr. Jeff Schweitzer. He is the author of a new book called Beyond Cosmic Dice. Moral Life in a Random World, and he was the scientific advisor to the Clinton White House. So let's, um, why don't we talk about this whole concept of risk and how we're all going to be whipped into a frenzy. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, great. it's really a great topic because it's something that we deal with every day in our lives. We, from the moment we get out of bed, we, we do risk assessment. I mean, we brush our teeth in the morning to minimize the risk of tooth decay. It goes all the way down to that level. And if you eat well or you eat a light breakfast of fruit and vegetables or whole grain cereals, you do that to reduce your chance of heart, heart disease. When you go to bed at night and you arm your security system at home, you're doing that to reduce the risk and counter the, the risk of theft. I mean, some, it's some, we do risk assessment routinely, daily. What's interesting about risk assessment in the, even though we make hundreds of decisions every day to manage the risks of living, we are actually all very bad at it. Um, the human brain is just not wired very well to really understand and, and manage and mitigate risk. It's really an interesting outcome of us having these very large brains. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's interesting. We, because we have big brains, we have the opportunity and the, the, the ability to ask questions about our future. And we can then, because we have large brains, anticipate various scenarios that might take place. And then based on those scenarios, we try to make decisions, based, even though there are many unknowns about how that future will unfold, how we might make decisions that, that reduce risk for the future. So we are really, really good at asking questions but we really don't like when we don't have any answers. So a lot of times we just make them up. And in making up those answers to questions that don't have good answers to them, we create the, the image of risk sometimes when risk doesn't really exist. I'll give you I mean, a, a, a classic example of how we 
are more emotional than rational about how we do risk assessment. If I ask somebody, I place someone in a scenario where they either have a 10% chance of dying or a 90% chance of living, almost everybody chooses the scenario in which they have a 90% chance of living, even though those two choices are identical. And in business, you see this a lot, the way proposals are presented. Uh, A proposal having a 70% chance of success versus one having a 30% chance of failure, almost always people will gravitate toward the one with a 70% chance of success, even though the risk is identical between those two scenarios, the risk of failure or the, or the chance of success. We don't really approach risk assessment very rationally in our daily life, and it's something that is really a consequence of the way our, our brains in, in, interpret the world around us. Hmm. Well, it's not just a matter of, you know, thinking more positively that uh, 70% chance of success sounds better. I mean, that we, we don't really think about, I mean, I, I guess that's the point, that we don't really stop to think about that it, be, it being the same exact thing, but we just kind of... Um, uh, That's right. React. We we do react. We react. We much. I gave that example for that very reason. We tend to react emotionally to these choices, even when those choices involve risk. And that brings us back to the falling satellite. If <clears throat> if you look at the chance of something bad happening to you because the satellite is falling, it is so small so minuscule relative to other risks in your daily life that could actually take your life. And one of the reasons why we focus on that, even though the probability is so small, is because we, we don't feel like we have any control over that. See, risk comes in many flavors. It can be a very tiny risk with a huge, income, with a huge outcome or uh, perhaps a small risk but very likely likelihood that it was actually going to happen and things in between those. So while we're focusing on something that we have no control of, even though it has very, very low chance of happening, very low probability, you know, we might be listening to this radio show in our car while we're tailgating at high speed without wearing our seatbelts thinking, gee, I wonder if this satellite's going to have an, mm-hmm. going to harm me or not, when in fact... The real harm is three feet in front of you going 60 miles an hour. And what I'm saying is that we, we, there is an element of irrationality in, in our risk assessment and how we manage those, those risks in our daily life. And one of the reasons why we are concerned about the satellite, and not to dismiss it because it's not a zero probability, but one of the reasons why we worry about something like the satellite falling out of the sky is because Emotion often trumps rationality when we're talking about risk assessment. I guess also we've gotten somewhat um, uh, used to or desensitized to some of the things, the warnings that we get about the things that are more of a risk in daily life, like, you know, PSAs telling us to wear our seatbelts or wear helmets when we um, ride a, a bicycle or, uh, you know, not to drink and drive. It's become sort of background noise. And then all of a sudden you have some news report about a satellite falling out of the sky, something new, and we sort of get focused on that. I, I think that novelty definitely is an important element. We tend to notice things new and devote more attention to them. In fact, it, that, that's the way our visual system works, too. I mean, if you stare at something long enough, it actually disappears because our, our nervous system is wired to, for novelty because that's where most danger comes from, things that you've not yet seen, don't yet have in your visual system. Mm-hmm. And also other sensory systems work similarly. So we're very much primed to for novelty, and you're exactly right. Something like a satellite falling out of the sky is new. It's not we drive every day, and so we get kind of immune to the, to the risks associated with that. And again, we feel like we have some control when we're driving. Uh, it's a little bit of a myth because we have less control than we think we do, 
but we, we have that sense of control, and we tend to worry less about risk when we have a sense of control, even, though if, even if it's a false sense. Um, all the things that we do that are real dangers in our lives, and we smoke cigarettes, we drink too much, we drive when we're drunk, we tailgate at high speeds, we're overweight, um, we eat saturated fats, we lead sedentary lives. All of the things that we do generally that are really high risk to us, to our health and to our life, we have a sense that we have control over it, so we worry less about it. Yes, I'm overweight, but I could lose weight if I really wanted to. We're, but there's nothing you can do about that thing falling out of the mm-hmm. sky. And that, that novelty of that and that lack of control really grabs your attention. You know, I wonder also, there seems to be a part of us that um, even the, it's sort of a paradox because even though that we are totally out of control, there's nothing we can do to make the satellite land one place or the other, um, unless the government has some secret plan that they haven't told us about yet, like, doubt, like yeah, Bruce Willis. <laughs> I doubt they're that competent, so. Yes, me too. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like losing weight or, or wearing seatbelts or, you know, watching how much fat is in our diet, all of these things that we can do something about, um, we, requires work. You know, we, we almost feel guilty if we don't do it or we feel like we have to do it even at the same time as we're, as it's become background noise. Whereas, um, with a satellite falling out of the sky, it's in a way, there's nothing, since there's nothing we can do, it's almost easier in a way to just stand there, um, like deer in headlights. Yeah. And just freak out about it. That's exactly right, and that goes back to the irrationality of of risk assessment. So exactly right. What we're doing is we're ignoring those very real risks that we actually can do something about and focusing on those risks that have low probability that we can do nothing about. It's the exact inverse of what we really should be doing mm-hmm. from a rational perspective, but that's just what we do. And and we're all bad at it. It's it's just what we are as human beings. It's not It's not disparaging any one person we're all just really bad at it we we become um, emotional and do exactly what you just said we're focusing on really the wrong thing if you want to if, if the wrong thing in terms of if you really want to maximize your chance of living a good healthy life we're focusing on the wrong thing well you know um one thing though that that i see as a positive from this is that um even though, you know, the risk is low and so on, um, still, if, if it makes people um, not, get, not get too paralyzed, you know, not, not, if they can stop being a deer in headlights long enough to think about this in the sense of, well, what if the world really was going to, what if the satellite was going to land on my head, you know, at the end of February, the beginning of March, and I only did have this time left? Um, how would I do things differently? I mean, there's kind of a positive that this can uh, turn into. I, I agree with you 100%. I am all for having people address their mortality every day because I think it makes each of us live our lives more fully. And, and if this does that, and you're right, it, it can. If, someone, if it makes somebody understand that life is something that can be uh, fragile and I do need to make the most of what I've got while I'm here, then it is extraordinarily positive. And I think that's a really interesting perspective to take on it. Well, it's kind of like, you know, I, I wrote a book, um, uh, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. And it's it's the gift of terrorism. Um, you know, we there of course there are a lot of psychological reactions that we're all having. Um, you know that we don't attribute to terrorism or, or um, realizing that the threat of terrorism is hanging over our heads and after 9/11 more than ever. Um, but. But the gift of it is the same thing, facing our mortality. You know, not just, of course, 
with that, there are things we can do um, to try to make the world a more peaceful place. But, but um, it's also that same idea of facing mortality that we don't have, no matter what age we are, we don't have a guarantee of the next day, and that can make us live more fully. It's a really a great point. I mean, one of the problems I think Americans have in, in increasingly Western societies in Europe as well is that our safe existence in which we don't have to worry about our next meal and we have, and have reasonably good health care, we become numb to the risks and, and the reality of mortality. And one thing is that degrades, I think, in many ways the quality of our lives. I mean, oddly, while we're in great shape in the United States, the rest of the world is not. And maybe after the break we can talk about that a little bit. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's a good segue into, uh, into the environment in general and, and what's happening all over the globe besides people <laughs> looking at the sky to see if the satellite is coming, the satellite is coming, and the sky is falling. You're listening to Dr. Carol Lieberman. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host. My guest, guest is Dr. Jeff Schweitzer. He is the author of Beyond Cosmic Dice, Moral Life in a Random World. He was the scientific advisor to the Clinton White House and has held um, many important positions in as far as looking at the environment and, and uh, the way man is using it. So we'll start talking about that when we come back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Everything you want, everything you want to do, and everything you want to have is right at your fingertips. People think that accomplishing your goals has to be difficult. Guess what? It doesn't. All you need are the right tools and a map. And that is what author, professional speaker, and now talk radio host Charmin Lane is offering you. Join Charmin Wednesday afternoons at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel for success made simple. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental muscle in baseball simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, 
Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And the spy is falling. The spy is falling. I love playing Chicken Little. <laughs> I'm talking to you about the spy satellite. We're talking with my guest, Dr. Jeff Schweitzer. And he is the author of Beyond Cosmic Dice, Moral Life in a Random World. A little more random when the uh, satellite finds its way into our atmosphere. Um, but we've been talking about risk assessment and, and uh, how maybe there are some other things in our life that we should be looking at that, has, that have more of a chance of, uh, well, where we have more of a chance of doing something about it, for one thing. So before the break, um, you started to tell us about how this, uh, about the rest of the world. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. We are now concerned in, 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 this, in this conversation in the news media about a spy satellite falling through the atmosphere. And it really is telling because we actually have the luxury of worrying about that. The rest of the world really does not. I mean, there are a billion people that go to bed hungry every night. There's a billion people that do not have access to fresh water. A hundred million children die every year of preventable diseases. The average human condition is really one of suffering and disease, and it's very difficult for an American to understand it as they're eating their Big Macs driving down the highway in their SUVs. But that's the case. Someone struggling to survive wouldn't have the luxury of worrying about a satellite falling out of the sky because they have so many more immediate threats to their daily existence. And I think that's a good perspective to have. I think we should take stock and, and note that, yes, I mean, our, our lives are in pretty good shape and we have the luxury to um, span out and worry about things that other people might not, not be concerned about. And this, the general condition of humanity and the rest of the world is really something that should concern people in the United States. It's also part of the concept of risk assessment because when the rest of the world is unhappy when the rest of the world is at war it is a threat to us and that, that again is something that really should should enter into our consciousness and our daily lives and I think we tend to forget that yes that's true um, that uh, that that when people are, are feeling or when people are hungry or unsafe and and uh, ill and and having all these things horrible things happen to them that certainly is um, when when they're when they feel like they don't have much to lose and so why not have a war if that could possibly make things better if you look at the immigration issue with mexico i mean the reason why there is an exodus of mexicans in the united states is because conditions there are bad and if the conditions there were like they were in canada you don't see hordes of canadians mm. rushing across the border and I think that we, we in the United States tend to forget that the rest of the world is, is not in good shape. And I think being oblivious to that is a real threat to us. And it's a real threat because part of the problem in the rest of the world is degradation in the environment, and the environment knows no boundaries. And that becomes crystal clear in one of the, the biggest environmental issues that, that faces today, and that's climate change. And what China does and what the developing countries do as they develop their economies over the next 20 years will have a huge immediate and very real impact on us in the United States. And so I think we need to be more aware of what's happening in the world and how in conditions in the world. And also we have to start worrying about definitely in, from the perspective of risk assessment we definitely have to start worrying about what's happening to our global environment. And it's not just uh, climate change. About 50% of coral reefs are dead or dying. Um, the acidity of the ocean is rapidly going up, which is partly the cause of the coral deaths, but that will also affect uh, marine life and the food chain. Um, we are destroying thousands of acres of tropical forest every year. Uh, we're lowering our standards for putting lead and mercury into our air and water. Um, we are mining our 
forests. We're now allowing mining and excess logging in our national forests. We're trying to open up the Alaska National Wildlife Reserve for oil exploration. Mm. I mean, there is much of the environment is under attack. And it's funny because the, the, the outgoing risks of those actions are extreme, and yet we don't really talk about how that's going to impact our lives but we mm-hmm. are yet still worried about this spy satellite falling. Again, it's an example where we are kind of ignoring those things that we can do something about and focusing on those that we can't do anything about. Which brings me to um, the next question, which is um, because I imagine that these were some of the things that you were um, working on or advising the wife, the Clinton White House on. Tell us about what, what you did and what that was like working in the White House. I was the Assistant Director for International Science and Technology in what's called the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which reports to the President. There's a President Science Advisor to whom I reported, and he reports to the President. And what we were looking at are three separate issues of science and technology. How does science in the United States impact our foreign policy in the rest of the world? How do scientific advances in the rest of the world affect um, us in the United States? And then how, how we can use science as a diplomatic tool to um, broker or to improve relationships with countries that we might not have such a good relationship with. As an example, um, when the Soviet Union broke up, um, I led the, the, the delegation that negotiated the first treaty between Russia, the new Russia and the United States, which was a science and technology treaty because there are many common areas of common interest in science and technology, even among countries that are not getting along in many other areas. Again, because we live in a world of, of an environment that does not know any boundaries, and, so, and, and diseases cross borders. There are many reasons why we need to cooperate with other countries, and science and technology really is a great tool to open up those doors and from that perch, I really saw something very interesting, that the policies that we implement in the United States, uh, particularly in the environment, really have an uh, impact on millions of people uh, across the globe. Uh, the, an example, it's unfortunately a negative example, but we walked away, for example, from the Rio Treaty in which the, in the world decided to act together in concert to protect um, biological diversity, which is being lost at frightening rates. And the United States, um, under the Bush administration, did not take the lead on that, and we we are not part of that treaty. And yet, um, the rest of the world is really struggling to uh, preserve those resources. And those resources are essential for us, not, not the least of which is um, probably providing the next raw material for the next important drugs but they also provide incredibly important ecosystem resources, um, filtering water, providing fresh water. And so um, you, you really saw from that perch in the White House that these policies that we implement are not theoretical. They're real, and they have real impact on real people. Well, and, and as you brought up, um, this idea of using it as a tool for diplomacy obviously is very important. Well, so what happened to, I mean, have you um, tracked the, I mean, I guess that's what you're, uh, this, the kinds of things that you were working on under Clinton were what, abandoned when the Bush administration came in? Well, I'm sad to say that that's largely true. Um, under the Bush administration, and by the way, this may seem to your listeners that we're, we've moved away from spy satellites, but mm-hmm. oddly we're really talking about something very similar, and that is how we manage risk in our daily lives, and the issues that we're talking about with the environment also impact our daily lives. It all comes back to how we manage the things that will impact us and our future and, and our health. And um, the, 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 the specific issues that we were working on, when I was, that I was working on when I was in the Clinton White House, um, were to try to strengthen, for example, the um, Endangered Species Act. But when, when Bush came in, he actually weakened that act and lowered the criteria for, re, for removing species from that act, which lowered their level of protection. 
Um, he is no longer supporting efforts to protect tropical forests in the developing world. Um, the EPA um, had to be sued by a coalition of 12 states allowing them to regulate the emission of CO2 as a pollutant. This, the, the EPA under the Bush administration claimed that uh, carbon dioxide was not a pollutant, therefore EPA had no jurisdiction. Mm. Um, they lost that lawsuit, but now the states are suing the EPA to actually implement the programs that the court told them that they had to implement. They're still, they're still not doing it. Um, uh, under the Bush administration, we went way backwards in protecting our own uh, national reserves. We are really endangering our forests. We have opened them up um, in large extent to mining that, were, that had never happened before, and also much more intense logging, which is actually an underlying threat. There was a report done by uh, an independent body of scientists that said that we really need to strengthen the way we're managing our forests to preserve them for the next generation. And the Bush administration did not like that report, so what they did was they fired that committee, and then they reconstituted the committee with um, basically industry representatives. Mm -hmm. And th those industry representatives said, sure, there's no problem. Go ahead and intensify your deforestation. There's thousands of examples, literally thousands of examples like this. He actually is weakening the um, Clean Air Act. It, it's considered by the world the most successful environmental legislation ever passed. And the Bush administration, even though there was a consensus across both parties that this was an effective great piece of legislation has weakened it. And now in rural areas, we really are allowing more mercury and lead in the water in, in rural areas. So these are the kind. Now, talk about risk assessment. Lead in water is a very serious risk for children. It affects development. It affects their, their, the neurology. It affects their ability to learn as adults. And yet, we're actually increasing the risk of Americans drinking and being exposed to more lead. I mean, these are really serious risk issues. Yes, and you know, one of the things, though, thinking about it, um, is when we talk about the satellite falling from the sky at the end of February or the beginning of March, um, that's a very specific event, you know, and there's kind of a time limit. Right. But when we talk about the environment and how it's being ruined, so we, we tend to think, oh, well, you know, it'll still be okay in my lifetime or, you know, when we hear about something being affected 10 years from now or, or maybe not 50 years from now, you know, it, it seems like, well, we don't really have to hurry up and do anything. That's part of the problem. Well, why don't we talk about that when we come back? Great. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Dr. Jeff Schweitzer. He's the author of Beyond Cosmic Dice, Moral Life in a Random World. So stay tuned. free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, 
check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental muscle in baseball simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, warning you that the spy is falling, the spy is falling. We're here today with my guest, Dr. Jeff Schweitzer. Um, who has been uh, studying the environment and uh, was a scientific advisor to the Clinton White House. Um, we're, why don't we, we were talking about the environment and, and how, um, well, before we, we, before we broke, we were talking, I was pointing out about how um, when there's a concrete event, like we're told that the spy is falling, the spy satellite, um, you know, we can focus more easily on that than when we hear about the environment going down the tubes, which seems to be at some vague point in time that we find it hard to relate to. Right, and that goes back to what we were discussing early in the conversation about the irrationality about how we humans do risk assessment. For example, if we go to climate change and global warming, if the Antarctic uh, ice sheet in the West Antarctic and the Greenland ice sheet actually slide at an accelerated rate into the ground, we're going to have an event that's pretty soon and pretty quick and, and, and would make any discussion of a satellite pale in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it, well, it is... Yes, and you know, actually, um, with all these weather changes pretty much all over the globe, we're, we're seeing different weather changes. You know, it was hotter in Europe, um, than it's been, and it's, we've been having, there are hurricanes and all kinds of um, different weather events in places that didn't used to have them before, or at least not as, as um, severely. And so I think that's getting people's attention. Exactly. As it, as, it start, as it starts impacting their daily lives, I think the impacts of climate change will start being taken more seriously by the general public. There's no doubt it's being take, taken seriously by the scientific community. The, the last report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was a report, a consensus report, difficult to do on a global basis, signed by 800 scientists from 166 countries, and it was reviewed by 2,500 scientists. I mean, there, there's just no doubt, there's absolute certainty in the scientific community now that climate change is real and caused by um, human activity. And that brings me to another point. That it, we're, we're at this point in the climate and in our relationship with the environment really because for the last 2,000 years we have been told that the environment is put here for us, for us to exploit, and that we're not part of the environment, we're above the environment, and it's here for our use. And I think that's proven to be a very dangerous attitude. We're really at a very critical fork in the road in our evolutionary history. And I think we can continue down the path that we're on right now which really will lead to our accelerated extinction. And by the way, extinction is the norm. 99.9% of all species ever walking the face of the earth are now extinct. It's, most species are, are gone, and that's the nature of evolution. Or 
we can do something that no biological creature's ever done before, and we can actually use our big brains to do something different and choose another path. We can choose to go down a path of sustainability, living in just societies where we actually manage the resources that sustain us in a way that will also sustain our children. But here's the interesting thing. The choice is ours. We actually can make that choice. Other animals have never had that opportunity in the history of biology, at least on Earth. I'm not very optimistic that we're going to make the right choice, but I am encouraged that we at least have the opportunity to do so. And maybe, maybe climate change, because of its huge impact and in extraordinarily, extraordinarily high cost to human societies, will finally be the trigger that makes people wake up and realize, you know what, we really do need to change our ways. We really need to change our relationship with the environment. And I'm hoping that that will be the case. Yes. I, uh, you know, at least it makes it seem more real. And, and we have actually come, uh, some, made some progress because uh, it's been a long time, for a long time, the Bush administration was trying to convince us that, there, that this was all not true. Well, I know. I'm pain, I, I, it's painfully true. The, the Bush administration has not only said that, they're, that climate change is not real. They, they've had three positions. Initially, climate change was not real. It was not an actual event, and it was a liberal conspiracy. Then, when the evidence started becoming somewhat compelling, the Bush administration said, well, it might be true that there is climate change, but it's not caused by human activity. It's a natural cycle, which, of course, is not true. We have records going all the way back. I mean, we, over the last 4.5 billion years of the Earth's history, we know what the ice ages were from core samples of ice in the Arctic. It's, it's not a mystery. And then the third, so they were wrong about that, and then the third position they have now is, well, yeah, climate change is real, and it might be caused by human activity, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe the impacts will be okay. Maybe there will be more rain in some areas that are getting drought right now, so we really don't have to take any action. They are still blocking any action on the global, uh, on the global stage. The most recent meeting in Bali and in Indonesia, um, the United States um, was, again, uh, being uh, obstructionist in uh, the delegate from Sudan of all places said, look, lead, follow, or get out of the way. The rest of the world has got to act on this. It's pretty embarrassing mm -hmm. when we're mm -hmm. being lectured by Sudan about <laughs> global policy. Yeah, well. Hmm. That's where we stand now. And, but I don't think... Going back to what you were saying about uh, diplomacy, you know, needless to say, this does not help to um, make more people around the world love the United States. No, I, I, we've the United States really has never been um, viewed with the disdain that it's viewed now. We've really gone from a beacon of hope for the world in the last six years to a rogue nation. I mean, we are now uh, arresting our own citizens and suspending habeas corpus. We have illegal wiretapping. We're torturing people. The, the, we have lost our ground. We've lost our way. And by the way, this is very much related to what we were talking about with the environment because we've also lost our way in how we manage the environment. And I think that we really do need to evaluate what our relationship is with each other and with the environment and change what we've been doing. I mean, the record is not very good. If you look, if you look at the, the global condition right now and the threats that we all face, we do not have a record of which to be proud. I am hoping that the next president, whoever that, whomever that may be, takes these issues seriously because really it, it very much will impact our daily lives. And as those weather patterns shift and it does impact us each individually in our houses and when we're walking to work and driving to work, I think it will be easier for us all to take it more seriously just like you're saying, because it's something that becomes more immediate rather than something abstract that we can deal with in the future. Yes, absolutely. Um, as an example, in California this past week, with rainstorms that were really severe and winds that were really severe, oh, and that's another thing, fires. Um, right. We had really severe fires, and that's because 
of the winds that were so strong, you know, unusually strong, that the fire was able to move so quickly from one place to the other. So all of these things are, you know, it's it's like you can't um, bury your head in the sand anymore, and and um, you do need to realize that that these things are are signs are all part of what was predicted. I mean, one thing it's it's sad that Al Gore didn't become president. But um, at least he has really made um, a significant contribution to mankind by bringing our attention to this environmental issue. I agree. I think he's doing a wonderful job. I hope he, can, I, I hope he keeps it up. And you've been doing a very wonderful job yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And um, I, I want to tell my listeners where they can find more information about you and your books. Um, you've written previous books as well. Uh, it's jeffschweitzer.com, J-E-F-F-S-C-H-W-E-I-T-Z-E-R.com. The book, again, is Beyond Cosmic Dice, Moral Life in a Random World. We've been talking about The Spy is Falling, and so uh hope we've helped you to think about things that are more likely to happen to come crashing down on your head than the spy satellite. So thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.